Welcome to the Athletes Record, where athletes share an honest account of the highs and lows in their sporting life, the things that matter most to them, and their hopes for the future. This podcast is brought to you in association with Gym Plus Coffee, an athleisure brand and community of people with a passion to make life richer. To see their full range, visit gympluscoffee.com. This episode features Ian Madigan, out half for Ulster Rugby and 31 times cap for Ireland. Ian reflects on over a decade in the game, what it was like to be coached by Joe Schmidt and how his setbacks have helped to shape him into the player he is today. I can remember one of my first days in the sub-academy. Felipe Contepomi was in the gym and I remember him asking me to spot him on like bench press and I was just thinking this is actually incredible like you know <laughs> Felipe was this guy he was an you know, absolute idol he's an, you know a legend of a of a guy a fantastic player I remember just thinking oh my god I can't believe I'm actually mixing with these kind of guys and in training when you'd have the likes of Shane Horgan or Brian O'Driscoll giving you tips on how to deliver a pass to them how they wanted more time on the ball or how they want you to soak it up to the defense. Like I can actually remember getting advice off them and just going, oh my God, I actually didn't take any of that in because I was just so in awe of them. It was a special time for me. I look back and it's so fondly. Like I played a couple of times in my second year out of school that as the season was tailing off. It was actually the year they won that, that Heineken Cup in 2009. They rotated their squad a lot towards the end of the league season there. So some of the younger guys like myself and Dave Carney and... I think Ian McKinley, Dominic Ryan got opportunities at the end of that season and it was just so cool to be able to say at 19 that you were a Leinster player, you'd been capped and once you taste it you just want so much more. And then it was the following year that I, I started to break through into the team. I went from maybe two or three appearances to I think it was maybe seven or eight and early on in the season I think Johnny had a had a bit of a knock and was a doubt for one of the games so Cheka had said to me we want you to come in on the bench and there's a possibility Johnny mightn't play. And We were playing Cardiff at home and it's one thing getting your opportunity as a young guy against Dragons away with the perceived second string team, but to get an opportunity at the start of a season at home and in a full RDS with the perceived full strength Lancer team with all the internationals available. Johnny pulled out in the warm-up and I got an opportunity. It was just one of those games that I felt really comfortable in, in what I've been doing because I've been training with the team. But the game actually unfolded really nicely for me. Like we were playing against Cardiff, who were a side that didn't defend overly aggressively. So I had time on the ball and I just went out, executed my roles pretty well. And I went for a break towards the end of the game and they made a bad defensive error. And I managed to get through and slid over for a try. I remember getting picked up off the ground by, you know, the likes of Draco, Ono Mali, Shane Oregon, Shane Jennings. It just felt like a dream. You know, I say it to younger guys coming through now that look, when they're in the academy and they're, they're not getting opportunities, I just, you know, be patient. When it happens for you, it will happen really quickly. And that's what happened for me. You know, I got that game that went well at home and suddenly people knew who Ian Madigan was. And if I was in the team, it wasn't a shock. I just rode the coattails of that good performance in in 2010 and my eight years in, in Leinster have such fond memories of it. It's, it's a really special place and playing for your hometown club is, for me, it's what sport's all about. I used to go down to Donnybrook, you know, when I was eight or nine with my dad and watch them playing and to be able to go out and represent them was incredible. 
he enjoyed that. His first try in the Magnus League. He came in literally five minutes before a kickoff after Jonathan Sexton had to cry off with an injury. And he's had to deal with a load of pressure all night from that Cardiff back row, from the Cardiff centres as well. And he caps it off with a fine, fine try. For me, like there was definitely a period, you know, early on in my career where I just felt invincible. I wasn't getting injured. I felt really comfortable in the game plan that Joe had given us in, in Leinster. It, it suited my style of play and, you know, we had great success with it. I felt like I was getting, you know, one or two medals at the end of every season. I was like, this is so easy. <laughs> it's great. There was a great crew of young guys coming through and I was loving all the process of it, like the hard training, pre-season. I was licking my lips at it and I was thinking, this is great. I was racking up probably 25 caps a year for Leinster. I was getting seven, eight, nine, ten Irish caps, you know, any time Ireland were playing, I felt like I was going to be in the mix. Joe then got called up as, as Irish coach and I got an opportunity in the second half against Australia, which didn't go well. The team and myself both played pretty poorly and Australia beat us comfortably. And then we came up against New Zealand the following week and it was a huge game. Like New Zealand coming to town doesn't get any bigger than that. We obviously hadn't beaten them ever so it was again it was one of those games where a lot of things went their way you know Rob Carney scored a fantastic try and we ended up shooting out in front in a lead and then I came on with I think about maybe 15 minutes to go and looking back on it I actually did all right was pretty busy made some decent tackles and unfortunately the way it unfolded towards the end of the game I made a really poor defensive read and it ultimately led to them scoring in, in the corner I was just crushed because I knew what that win would have meant, especially to some of the older guys within our squad, you know, the likes of Draco, Darcy, who'd been around and been through some of the tougher times with both Leinster and Ireland, and they would have felt complete if they'd got that win over New Zealand. And yeah, look, it was a really tough one to take. And I remember sitting down and chatting to my brother about it, and, and he was like, well, look, what more can you do? And did you feel like you, you were well prepared? And I said to him, that, look, I did think I was well prepared going into the game. I'd scouted all their opposition. I knew our defensive system well. And he just pulled me up and he was like, well, you said you knew our kind of defensive system well. That's not good enough. Like, you need to know it inside out. And he was right, like, because for me, I love attacking and that's always kind of been my way, whether it was playing Gaelic football as a kid or tennis or golf. I, you know, I have an attacking mindset but when it came to defence, was I as switched on as I was when the attack coach was, was speaking? Maybe not. And that was definitely a turning point where I realised, look, let's not have this happen again. Let's not slip up on something that I know I'm capable of doing, like learning a defensive system really well, executing a tackle. And it definitely was a change in my mindset that's, that stayed with me throughout my career. Aaron Smith scoops it away to Cruden. Here's Coles. What a pass! What a pass! Ryan Crotty scores! Oh my goodness! I had a fantastic relationship with Joe, and you know, I was a young player coming through. I only played, you know, a handful of games. But it was when Joe came in, he was the first coach I was able to really work alongside. And for me, he was incredible. He was a really empowering coach. He used to encourage me to go off and do my own video analysis in teams and go up and present to him on what plays I'd suggest that we could do in a given week. And the nature of the league that we were playing in at the time is you could do that. You know, you, I don't think he'd, be, he'd have been taking my suggestions for a European Cup match, but he'd give me the reasoning behind why he decided to go with one of my plays. And 
it made me be a really good analyst of, of oppositions and be able to have a better understanding of why we're doing certain plays and how you break down opposition defences. That was kind of one aspect of it. The other one was, I think he, he got my personality well. He was a coach that he was always on my back. He was always demanding more. And being honest, there was times when I'd be like, I hate that guy. He's driving me up the wall. But, you know, whenever I calmed down, I knew the bigger picture and I knew that he was driving me on to be the best player that, that he knew I could be. You know, I had good fun with him along the way. Like the lads used to take the mick out of me when I'd suggest, let's say, a back play in a meeting and he'd go, yeah, nah, we're not doing that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, I, I learned the hard way that the best way to suggest something to a coach is to go into their office and do it to them in person. Don't do it in front of the group. But look, he was, you know, he had fantastic success with Leinster and I was lucky enough that he knew me well as a player and called upon me plenty of times for Ireland and, you know, he had great success there. For me, it was without doubt my favourite coach that I've worked with. You know, and I, I was surprised from being away in France for a year and, and England for three years when I came back and saw the kind of mindset of change between both supporters and players. I was kind of thinking to myself, is this the same Joe Schmidt that I knew a few years ago? And look, maybe he didn't move with the times as, as well as he should. And that can happen with coaches. But the memories that I have and the dealings I had with him, I couldn't speak more highly of him. You know, he's a fantastic guy and, and he was an incredible coach. Uh, look, I've, I've had a number of discussions with, uh, with Ian. Um, you know, it's... I've known him for a long time. I've coached him for a long time, and and uh, and respect him as as a player and a competitor and, and a person. He he, is, he adds quality to an environment. So he's currently contracted to Bordeaux, and when you when you're contracted, you, you've sold your, your your rugby skills to a particular place for for a given time, and I, I know that he'll honour that as long as they hold him to it. So. Until something happens, we won't push any boundaries, and that'll really be led by, by Ian himself. In 2015, Ian had established himself as the first choice number 10 at Leinster. He'd top scored in the Champions Cup and starred in the Rugby World Cup for Ireland. But the imminent return to Leinster of Johnny Sexton meant he had to make a tough choice to walk away from Leinster in Ireland and try to progress his career in France. Two very different experiences between France and, and England. The French one was definitely more romantic, kind of heading over there. You're going to Bordeaux, which is a fantastic city. Got off to a great start. I can remember the pre-season went well. I, I toured with Ireland in South Africa, so it wasn't overly long. It might have been only four or five weeks because the top 14 starts in August. So it had a couple of pre-season games. And then the first game of the season was against Racing, who'd won the top 14 the previous year. And it was at home and in Bordeaux. And, Dan Carter was playing for Racing, so it was built up to be this kind of huge game and went really well, played well, and we beat them. And the first kind of four or five months went swimmingly well. I was playing well, I was kicking my goals, was in the team of the week a few times. The wheels came off kind of in conjunction with a few different things. Like I picked up a groin injury that was definitely holding me back in, in the training I could do, how much kicking I could do, and, and ultimately how I was performing on the field. The team also lost form and went on a bad loss of games the coach kind of fell out with some of the senior players and some of the foreign players and that was a tough period and it kind of came to a head when it was made clear that the coach was going to be staying on and then some of the senior players made the decision that they were going to be moving on and I wasn't too sure about what direction the club was going 
Looking back on it, I wish I didn't care so much. I cared way too much. I was too concerned about the bigger picture. You know, if if I'd gone over there and just been a bit more selfish, I suppose, and just focused on on what I was doing and getting myself back fit from the injury or just focusing on what I was doing within the team as opposed to the bigger picture. But what I'd been accustomed to in Leinster and I was just probably too vested. I couldn't see the future changing. I wasn't particularly enjoying it at that time and an opportunity presented itself to go to Bristol and I took that decision and literally two weeks after making the decision then they decided to move the head coach on and then the picture completely changes again. My my injury starts to improve and I refine form and play some good stuff towards the end of the year for them. While the rugby was a bit of a roller coaster, it was it was a great year. Bordeaux was a fantastic city. I got to meet some incredible people. The French are really fun people to be around. But ultimately, I made that decision to move to Bristol, and it was a very exciting time. You know, I was going to a club that had been a real up and down club. They'd been in the Premiership, dropped to the Championship for really the ten years previous that I'd been there. But Pat Lamb had signed on from Connacht as head coach, and they'd made some big some other big signings like Stephen Luatua, Luke Moran, you know, proven internationals. And it was it was clear that Pat had this kind of grand plan. So while we were playing in the championship and the quality of the rugby there wasn't great, it was really exciting being part of this grand plan and this project. And I like I loved that year. The first year in the championship, I have such fond memories. You're winning the majority of the games because we had a good team and, and a big budget to go with it. You know, got to the end of the season, I won the Golden Boot. I was voted in the top three players of the season for the league. I got an award for Bristol Sports Person of the Year. It felt great. And I, you know, I was really comfortable playing the system that Pat had brought in. And I was just really excited to be back playing top-level rugby the following year, moving into the Premiership. And the club did a rebranding that summer, which was a big deal at the time. You know, I went from being called Bristol Rugby to being called the Bristol Bears and you wouldn't think a whole lot of it now at the time it was a big deal and if the team hadn't have been a success it could have been a bit of a laughing stock but that year in the Premiership it was very challenging you know we'd we'd an improving squad from the first year that I arrived but we were by no means the finished article and there was I think three games that season where I, I was presented with a match winning kick and got it and ultimately if they hadn't gone over we could have been in the mix for relegation again while that was never our goal to avoid relegation, as as Pat will remind me of, it was no doubt that it was an achievement that we finished ninth that year. And that rolled on to the third year of the season. Now, the second year towards the end of the season, I did tail off. My performances weren't as good as they were at the start of the season. And I'd broken my collarbone in the middle of the year. And I was probably, if I'm being honest with myself, I wasn't 100%. But look, the season ended, we came ninth. I was like, look, I'll get a good preseason under my belt going into the third year. I was really excited by that and I felt like I had done that and was fit and ready to go going into year three. And quite quickly, it was made clear to me that through selection and, and how things were in the club that I wasn't in the future plans of the club. And that was really tough at the time because how you're performing as a player is part of it. But there's also other aspects, you know, are you... Are you English qualified? What wage are you on? What's your age profile? The reality is a few of those things went against me, along with the performance, which is the first part I touched on. 
it was really tough. I remember the first game of the season against Bath, which is the big rivalry over there. It's kind of like Munster Leinster here. And it was a game that had started the year before and played really well. And, and I wasn't selected to be in the 23. That was probably the biggest disappointment of my career. It was just like, oh my God. I was like, you know, I've put all this work in. I feel like if my form is coming back, but Pat decided to go with two young guys and, and it was pretty crushing. There's mixed emotions. You're, they're going into the game and you're obviously hoping the team wins, but you know deep down that you need one of these two guys not to go too well for you to get back in the following week. And very quickly, it can all be forgotten about. But suddenly one game turned into three, four, five, six games. And before I knew it, like we were hitting October and I'd barely played for the team. And that period of about six months was tough. Now, while it did start to come good for me and, you know, there were still highlights within that year, you know, I got my 50th cap against Bath away, which was, you know, a nice milestone to get within three years. That was probably the most challenging period of, of being a professional rugby player. But I just kept saying to myself, look, just stick at it. Quite often seasons ebb and flow for different players. Certain players will hit form at different times. Other players will lose form at different times. And I just kept saying to myself, look, just keep training well, keep myself really fit and well, and it will swing eventually. Now, I did feel like it had started to swing and then COVID hit, which being honest, I was not upset about it at all because I wasn't particularly enjoying the club. When you're in there and you're not getting picked week in, week out, and you're on a big salary, there's a lot of eyeballs on you. People are always seeing how you're reacting and that can be exhausting and I, I did feel that to an extent now you know I'm confident in the feedback I've gotten that I did handle the situation well but that doesn't mean that it's not a tough process to go through so when lockdown came it gave me an opportunity to you know really map out what I wanted to improve on physically and have a clear kind of three four five six months of that before I joined up with Ulster and that was a, an opportunity that I was lucky that presented itself and, and really excited me and been here I think about six or seven months now and I've, I've loved every minute of it. I wake up in the morning, I can't wait to get in there and mix with some of the younger guys and have them take the piss out of me and get out on the training pitch and then I come home in the evening and chop up clips for some of the guys, send them on, have a bit of interaction over that and yeah, I'm just loving the process of it in Ulster. I think there's, there's something really special building up here some really good quality young players coming through along with some experienced guys like you know Stu McCluskey Luke Marshall Ian Henderson guys who haven't had much success but they know what it takes to win and, and they're really hungry to get trophies here and hopefully I'm going to be a part of that Ireland international Geordie Murphy was two years behind Ian Madigan in Blackrock College he joined Ian at Leinster played alongside him with Ireland and here, Geordie talks about when they became teammates once more at Ulster Rugby. So when I first heard that he might be coming over, obviously I was very excited at the thought of that because I thought he could definitely add a lot to our squad, a lot of experience, could certainly add to the strength and depth. You've got the likes of Billy Burns there, Mikey Lowry and, and, and Mads. Like we're, we're pretty blessed in that 10 position now. So to have that competition week in, week out is, is great for those boys and if someone, for example, picks up a knock, then, you know, you've got two other really quality guys in there. So I, I was delighted to hear that he was potentially coming. And then I was in the stadium one day and Dan had said that Mads was flying over for the day to have a look around and have a chat. So I got to catch up with him after and he told me he was really, really keen. He was 
just keen to first and foremost get get back to Ireland. Like he'd obviously spent four years away. And so even just to be closer to his family was a big drive for him. And then for the opportunity to come back and play, play in Ireland for a province. And like we've spoken about it numerous times, like if you've tasted international rugby like he has, and he obviously hasn't had it in quite a number of years, but your drive will always be there your desire, your goal to potentially get back there one day. And this was obviously an opportunity that if he was to be able to come over and at least put himself in the shop window to to be looked at for Ireland. So that, that was a huge number of factors for him to come over and um, kind of make his mark. And I, I think he's had a great first season for us. He's played in some really big games and performed really, really well. And he's obviously been rewarded with with another two-year contract, which is, which is brilliant. Yeah, he's... Uh, Sometimes there's a few boys here who are looking over being like, this man's have a few screws loose, but uh, that's just him. He's just, uh, he's big for a chirp up and uh, he's always got kind of tons of energy and whether it be a freezing cold Monday morning or a bright Saturday afternoon going out to play a game, you're getting the same amount of energy from Mads. When some guys have the hood up and the eyes barely open, he's coming bouncing in the door. So um that's that's something that he really adds adds to the environment. All eyes on Madigan. This is the Guinness Pro 14 semi-final right here. Can he do it now to win the game for Ulster? The French quarterfinal in the World Cup was the highlight of my career, you know. The emotion people saw after that game was very much down to, I suppose, the build-up and, and leading into it, you know. Going into the preseason of that World Cup, in my own head, I didn't think I was a cert to make the squad. I didn't know if Joe was going to pick two or three out halves. Obviously, Johnny was nailed on, but myself and Paddy Jackson had been in a sustained duel for a good few years at that stage, and I knew it was going to come down to form and felt like I'd put in a really good preseason. The warm-up games had gone well. I thought I played well against Scotland in the Aviva and I tried to avoid a lot of the media stuff but it's impossible at times and I remember reading how dependent Ireland were on, on Johnny and if Johnny got injured it wasn't going to be a successful World Cup for, for Ireland and I did take that personally and I felt like I'd been kind of doubted for large parts of my career that maybe I wasn't good enough at the international level and I remember when that game ended and we won our group. Again, it was it wasn't really elation. Like obviously, it felt really good, but it was also relief. It was relief that I'd proven to myself that I'm good enough to compete at this level. And this game management slogan I'd been tagged with that look, I am able to manage a game and the pressure's on and keep the ball the ball in front of our pack and you know know when to pull the trigger on big plays. Looking up after the game and. I remember seeing my parents in the in the crowd. It was just it was a special moment, you know. It was, still still makes me choke up. Obviously, when I'm getting sent a gif on a Friday afternoon, four years later of me crying, and you got that Friday feeling, you know, you're kind of going, "Oh, for God's sake!" But being honest, it actually didn't bother me at all. I actually I really enjoyed it because for me, it felt like this is me. I'm not putting anything on. This is my personality. I put it all out there every time I play. 
it's not going to work out and it hasn't worked out loads of times I've played poorly in an Irish jersey I've played poorly for Leinster or, or whatever club I've been at but I think supporters know that when I'm playing I'm putting it all in I'm fully committed what you see is what you get it's warts and all and I've been very appreciative over the years I, I feel like supporters have been with me through the good times and bad you know if I went back to to Leinster or Bordeaux or Bristol I'd like to think I have a very good relationship with the players and supporters and coaches that I've played under and that's something that really means a lot to me because that's kind of my philosophy of how I go about playing the professional game and I feel like at the end of a day's work I can look myself in the eye and, and know that I've been true to myself. Ultimately that's probably what saved me with you know the big setbacks I've had in my career. I can go well look I know I prepared to the best of my ability. I left no stone unturned. I tried my very best. It didn't work out, but it's not for want of trying. And that's something that I've definitely taken solace in. Ian Madigan is finding it just a little bit too much. The emotion of the occasion. He should be very, very proud of what he achieved. With the average professional rugby career being just seven years, Ian took the decision to plan for life after rugby and explore business interests outside of the game. When things are going well within the professional game, the interests you have outside of rugby, they aren't overly important. And the reality is you probably take your eye off them as well, but when the rugby's going well. But when things are going badly, whether you have an injury or, or a loss of form, when you have another focus outside of the game, it definitely helped me. And I was lucky enough to be approached by a friend from school, Michael Storn, in, in, in 2015. And he had a simple idea at the time for fantasy rugby. And, you know, the Irish Times used to do their fantasy game. And it was very basic, you know, it was basically done on tries for each player and whether the team won or lost. He had an idea for a stats-based game, everything from carries, meters gained, passes, kicks. It came to me, presented the idea to me in, in 2014, built out the game. And we ran it for three Six Nations and the 2015 World Cup. It was great being a part of that. It was just the two of us and he was obviously at it full time and I helped where I could promote it and, and help fund it. We had great success. We built out the game with we had over 100,000 users playing it at one stage and we were lucky enough to be approached by a company called Rugby Pass who were owned by Sky New Zealand in 2017, 2018. They, they were looking for more interaction on their product and we were happy enough to sell it on. So it was a great learning curve for me to kind of see how businesses are run and different ideas and how to promote. And it was just a great focus outside of the game where I could switch off and we then teamed up with another guy who we were in school with, Ryan McElane, who had been working as a consultant with EY and, and Accenture in kind of banking compliance. And he said, look, there's this GDPR regulation coming down the tracks. You know, would you be interested in using the money that you, you got from the initial sale of Fantasy Rugby to build out this GDPR privacy center and compliance pack? So he then came on board and we spent kind of 2018, 2019 building out the product and we were lucky enough to join an accelerator program in, in the States called Accelerprise, which really helped us with the product itself and pricing. And then we, we also came under the guise of Enterprise Ireland, who were fantastic. And we've been working closely with them. And that led us to doing a round of funding last year where 
we raised 500,000, which, you know, keep us funded now for the next couple of years. And the last six months, we're getting some great success with the product. So I've been lucky to be working with a consultant, being able to see how they view businesses and how they can improve. And for me, my role within data ships is business development. So I work closely with the sales team and do my best to use my profile to open doors. And hopefully people are more welcoming to talk to us off the back of it. And I'm currently working on, on a few partnerships so where we can team up and look to access clients under the umbrella of the partners. I also run a CBD company called Feel Free CBD. It's tied in really well with playing professional sport. It was actually recommended to me by a friend about two years ago and he was aware of obviously the performance anxiety I go through in the lead up to games and and how my sleep can be affected. I was quite skeptical of, of CBD because obviously coming from the, the cannabis plant but it had recently been approved by WADA and there was some other professional players in the UK promoting their own brand and taking it. So I felt confident in it and literally within two or three days of taking the product, I felt great improvement in, in my sleep and, and in turn my recovery. That got myself and my partner Anna thinking and we then decided during lockdown with all the time in our hands to set up our own company and we felt that the market in Ireland was pretty untouched and we felt that there wasn't much awareness about CBD and we thought it was an opportunity to bring a product to market that could really help people and, and improve their quality of life. We met with suppliers, built out a website and we've been um, selling the product now for about three months with good success. It's been really satisfying seeing the, the customer's feedback. So it's uh, another great avenue to keep me switched on outside of the game. This episode was brought to you in association with Jim Plus Coffee. Proudly designed in Ireland, Jim Plus Coffee was created in 2017 by three friends on a mission to bring high quality athletic clothing to a nation that was quickly making the Corner Cafe and Ireland's stunning natural landscape the new social hubs. To see their full range, visit jimpluscoffee.com. Commentary clips are courtesy of Guinness Pro 14 and RTE Sport. The Athlete's Record is produced by James Wynn and Richie Kelly of Record Media.